0: Got to be clear here. The Bible doesn't have a lot of gray areas with regard to choices. All the stories we read in 66 books, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, all of these thousands of people, all of these people make choices. We have their accounts in front of us, and we can go to and look and see how they decided. And there is no focusing on primarily one of them, just verse 3, so if everyone will crack open their Bibles to the book of Jonah, book of Jonah, chapter 1, we're making very, very slow progress through the book of Jonah, we started last week, and uh, it's, an, it's an awesome, awesome book, how many people have, uh, have been involved in the challenge, you've been reading Jonah every single day? I got some people. Good, good, good. Boy, most people have been reading it every single day. It's a true blessing. Actually, you know, I've been getting text messages from people asking me questions, and I am happy to say that some of them I just don't know the answers to, so that's awesome. It forces me to study a little bit more. Jonah and chapter 1. Let me read the verse real quick with everybody. The name of the sermon today is The Presence. You're never going to believe where I got it. It's in the verse twice, so it seems like it might be important. God writes down something once, it's important. How important is it if He writes down something twice? He's telling us to hone in, pay some special attention, because something's going on here. So, the presence, Jonah 1 and verse 3 says this. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Told everybody last week, there's a verse from this particular book that we're going to read every single week. And we're going to do that again this week. Every single week as we're going into our sermon, this is going to be a responsive reading. I believe, and I'm sure you all see the same thing, this verse is full of truth about God. We're going to do exactly the same thing we did last week. I am going to read the black on my own, and then you're all going to join me, and we're going to out loud read the red together as a body. Jonah 4, 2b. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. That's the God that we've come this morning to worship. That's the God right there. The one true God of the Bible. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Is that the God that you're praying to this morning? So we have a verse in front of us. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your lifelong, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God or with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is of joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, Idiocy, idiocy, excuse me. Rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to one state or the other. This was penned by C.S. Lewis. He really didn't give us much room to stand on as far as offense goes, and neither does the Bible. The Bible tells us we're either for Christ or we're against Christ. That's it. Uh, there's no in-between, there's no teetering back and forth on a fence. We're either one way or we're the other way, and, uh, and that's where we need to choose. You and I are in the same place as Jonah every single morning when we get up. You and I are in the same exact place. God gives us an opportunity to be a blessing and a light in a dark world, and we must choose to respond, and we do We all respond every single day to this call. Every morning, we choose how we will respond to God's call on our lives. So what is before Jonah is a choice. Are you going to follow God's command, or are you not? Are you going to be faithful to His command, or not? Too often we grab this notion that God desires us to be in church, and that's it. And and we all know that's not true. The idea is from the secular world and it's that God's end purpose is to get everyone in church services. And a lot of secular people that you speak to believe that that's our end goal, to get them to come to worship services so they can give us money so we can continue on. A very secular idea and it's wrong. But if that is God's only intention and the things that He's doing out there is to get people to come and attend a worship service Congratulations to all of us. Amen? We made it. We have succeeded in accomplishing, or excuse me, participating in God's will for us. But, you and I both know that that's not all He desires. Because He loves you, and He cares about your deepest hurts and concerns, and He even calls us in that verse penned by Peter, to cast uh, cast our cares on Him, cast our burdens on Him. He doesn't want you and I to live heaping stuff on top of ourselves. That's not what God desires for us. It says, cast your cares on Him, for He cares for you. But His care extends beyond you and beyond me. And as much as He loves us purposefully because God chose to set His affection upon each one that's in here. And as much as He loves us individually because He loves us each as individuals, His mission doesn't end with our attendance this morning. God has extended His goodness and love and mercy to everybody and allows His message of truth to work in you and in me to further sanctify us that we might live fully for Him. And reveal that life even to the ends of the earth. So he interacts with you and I. And he is engaged in our daily lives. And our daily decisions. And our daily choices. Calling us to a better life with each and every step. And with each step. To take that better life to others. Sometimes we succeed. And often we fail. Amen? Sometimes we step up to the call, we take hold of it, and we take God's truth, and we shine in all radiance, and then there's the rest of our lives where we slip and we fall and we fail. But even in our failure, getting back on track is in our coming back to God's standard and God's truth and obeying it with each step. Jim Elliott said this, Rest in this. It is his business to lead, command, impel, excuse me, impel, Send, call, or whatever you want to call it. So that's God's business. Lead, command, send, call. What's our business? He says it is your business to obey, follow, move, respond, or what have you. So that sets us up for this morning. We have just this one verse in our focus. And I have three points in this verse that we're going to look at. Just three. I'm sticking to three-point sermons here for a couple weeks. You always have a choice whether or not to obey God. I don't think anybody here is going to argue with me on this. I'll show you where I got it from the passage. But you always have a choice whether or not to obey God. It's always before you shall you obey or shall you not obey? That's your choice. You always make a choice. So there's not a time when we're indifferent to God's calling. There's not a time when we're indifferent to uh, whether or not we will obey. We always make a choice. And lastly, choosing to disregard God's word is always a choice to reject God. Every time. Every time you choose to go against what you know is true, what God has declared to be true, every time we disregard that, it is a choice to reject God. Our walks are attended with choices every single step. And I know last year I spent probably three or four sermons up here talking about choices because they are vitally important to our lives. We all make them. So I'm not going to go into a great exposition on choices. I don't feel like it's necessary. You've all been here. But I just want to remind everyone at this point, every single choice you make, every choice you make matters everyone is important we hear of a a court case where a murderer is on trial and his defense is that he had no other choice is that true? is that true? no you had no other choice we got to be clear here The Bible doesn't have a lot of gray areas with regard to choices. All the stories that we read in 66 books, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, all of these thousands of people, all of these people make choices. We have their accounts in front of us and we can go to and look and see how they decided and there is no gray area at all. Everyone made a conscious decision. No one is forced by God into disobedience. And this is important. Everyone should should hear me now. This is so important. God forces no one into disobedience. And at the same time, God forces no one to obey Him. God forces no one to obey His commands. God doesn't force our hands. He's not a cosmic chess player moving pieces around. Is He sovereign? Yes. In the end, is His will done? Yes. Yes. But he also gives us the opportunity to make choices. God will not force your hands. Read it and you'll see it. Genesis to Revelation. Again and again and again. The Bible's full of choices. All the way back to the place of perfection. Eden. Adam makes a choice. Eve doesn't make it for him, does she? Now Adam makes his own choice. So he disregards God's command and he sinks his teeth into the flesh of this fruit. Sinking deep beyond this skin, breaking it and going into the meat of this thing. And as the, the flavor is running down the back of his throat and probably down the front of his face, we see that he has at that point made a choice to set God's word aside and go another way. Did he have to? No. Uh, Cain is out in the field with his brother. And uh, God is pleased with the sacrifice of Abel. And with Cain, he's not pleased with that sacrifice. So Cain makes a choice to pick up a a rock and crush his brother's skull. That's a choice that he had. A choice that he made and will be held accountable for it. Abram is traveling with his wife Sarai. Sarai. They go before Abimelech. Abram has a choice whether or not to be honest, and he chooses to lie. What's he say? She's my sister. Did God ordain that? No, God does not ordain sin. God does not choose for us to sin. We choose to sin. Later on, Abraham chooses to listen to his wife rather than listen to God. God promised you will have a kid. You'll be the father of many nations through this kid. This kid will be with Sarah. So Abraham has a choice. You depend upon the word of God. God told me I will have a kid. Should I go forward and just believe that even in our old age, that he is going to go ahead and give me this son? And Abraham chooses. He listens to his wife. His wife says, why don't you have a child with my hand servant? So he does and suffers the consequences for that. Instead of waiting on God to fulfill his promise, instead of trusting and relying on the word of God, he makes a conscious choice to do something to make it happen for himself. I want to give one more illustration. It's David. Think about this for just a moment. So, uh, this is moments after the the time that he spent with Bathsheba. All these thoughts are racing through his head. He's trying to figure things out and comes up with a scheme. Understand this, David does not have to write a letter to have his friend murdered. That's a choice that he makes to cover up his own sin. We always have a choice. So does Jonah have a choice here in what he's called to do? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to the Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. Does Jonah have to do what God's telling him to do? No. We know that because he doesn't. But you always have a choice whether or not to obey God. You always have the choice in front of you. It's always there. Jonah does not have to go. And he makes a choice. Just as Adam made a choice and Cain made a choice, Moses made a choice, David made a choice, just as all these men made these choices, so Jonah goes and chooses. You always, every single step you take, have a choice whether or not to obey God. Second, you always make a choice. There's not one thing that sits before you that you don't choose one way or the other. So, what's his choice? Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to pagans. And we need to look at the response here because there is such deep, Theological significance in Jonah's response. Jonah decides that he will not only flee from God's word, but that he wants to get out of God's presence. Does everyone see that? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Not only does he want to get away from god's word he wants to get away from god also jonah's actions that are recorded here are simply astounding the choices that he makes uh, just drive a dagger into the heart of the faithful at least we would say that so he runs to a dock he finds a ship going in the opposite direction where god had commanded him and he boards let's just look at it for a moment god sends his word to jonah amen says in the beginning of the book, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. We know God's word comes to Jonah. We also know, as we learned in last week's sermon, that God's word had come to Jonah in the past. Jonah's not a one-time prophet. Jonah has been a prophet of the Lord. So this is now the second time we have recording that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. The first time, Jonah was obedient. Jonah did go and stand for God's call and take God's word to God's people and things changed. But he decides this time, he makes a decision that we we all make the same decision every day, that it would be in his best interest not to listen to God. This is the decision that Jonah makes on that day. So he has to decide how to respond. And you and I, listen up, you and I do this Every day. We think in some way that answering what's in front of us in the way that God has commanded us in in the scriptures is not the best way to do it. We believe that somehow our best interest would be in mind to answer in a different way. And you and I, we do this all the time. We live in a time where you can be very comfortable in picking and choosing what you like from God's Word and what you don't like, and you can write certain things off as cultural and other things you can call contemporary. We've decided that some commands are for a time and they are dated, and we need to bring the Bible into our contemporary culture. So we begin to question whether or not the clear teaching of Scripture is still valid, where these teachings run against the grain of our culture. Because let's be honest, if we live according to the way God calls us to live, we're weird. Amen? I mean, if you follow this book to the letter, you're weird. The way that you will look as you walk out into public, you will be strange. Let's narrow the scope just a hair. We have been for many, many years, longer than I've been alive, as a matter of fact, longer than anyone in here has been alive, redefining certain actions in order to appeal to the greater interest of culture. I wrote that out intentionally so that I would read it appropriately because it's it's true. We have been redefining what certain actions are in order to appeal to the greater interest of our culture. So murder is no longer murder. It used to be the wrongful killing of someone. Uh, That's no longer what it is now, though. Murder is a spectrum. So we have all these different choices on on how people die and whether or not this is murder. And it used to just be murder. At one time, if someone died by your hands and it was not self-defense, we called it murder. Today we have all these new classifications. So, what we've done is allowed secular culture to be the interpreter of God's word because it doesn't seem to suit the best interests of the time. What are we doing I have no idea. You listen to the the news, you read the paper, and you see some of this stuff that's absolutely just horrendous. And you wonder why aren't we standing up and saying no to some of this stuff? We as Christians reject these foundational values and we compromise. We weaken our own defense of our faith in the Bible as the ultimate authority. See, we want to be able to stand up in a crowd. We want to be able to stand up in the end of the day as faithful saints and say, yes, you're saying this, but I believe what this says. And we're weakening our defense every single time we give just a little. Just a little. When we choose what verses are valid for us, what verses are good for us, on a case-by-case basis, we are rejecting God the same way that Jonah did. The same way. When we make a choice to disregard God's word. Choosing that is always a choice to reject God. Let's just look at this for just a moment here. Choosing to disregard God's word is always a choice to reject God. So. If you were to ask yourself, did I reject God this morning? Most of us would say no. Did I reject to do the things that he called me to do? Most of us would say yes. Those that are honest would definitely say yes. When we choose to disregard God's word, we choose to reject God. Jonah goes on board to the dock, finds a ship heading to Tarshish, pays the fare and boards it. That's what we're told here in scripture. This is what Jonah did. Three things are happening here first thing is very obvious should be for all of us to get a Bible map out you look at all the question marks where uh, Tarshish possibly could have been and we can see one thing is obvious it's very clear he's going in a different direction than God has called him to I don't think we have to press this point to anyone I uh, He finds a vessel going in the opposite direction that he was commanded to go. We all see this, and I say we all do the same thing. How many times last week did you and I know what God would have us do in a situation, and we chose to do a 180 and do something different? So we said the wrong thing, and as a result offended someone. We did the wrong thing, and as a result offended someone. We transgressed a holy God. This has been our past week. The situation could have went a different way had we listened to what he had to say. Everyone in here, all of us together has, if we have any length of time in God's word at all, we all have a pretty good idea about how God wants us to respond and how he wants us to listen. And I I preach this to myself first. None of us are without accountability in this place. We all have God's Word in front of us, and every single person in here has at least heard a little bit of it. So we know when we make a decision what God would have us do because of the Word that's been ingrained into our hearts. We all have a pretty good idea of what He desires. So what's my point? That we're rebels like Jonah. And having the clear will of God in front of us, often we decide to rebel. Rebel. Instead of obeying. Point number two. Look how far Jonah is willing to go. This is really, really interesting. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. How different would this story have been if it said, but Jonah rose to flee to Nineveh. That's not what he chose. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. So, we really don't know exactly where Tarshish is, where Tarshish was. We really have no idea. Lots of commentators and uh, interpreters of the Bible, and we have lots of people that put together Bible maps, think that they have some idea, but the honest truth is we don't know. So, what truth can we can we go into the Scripture with, and what lens can we look at it through? I'm talking about the the place Tarshish, where we can at least gain some idea of where this place could have been. Well, the known world to these people at the time was 3,000 miles in any direction. So when we go to the east, it's not even 3,000. It was like 2,300 miles or or something ridiculous like that. To the west, it's about 3,000 miles, maybe 3,500 miles. It's really not all that far. The oldest maps that we have don't show beyond this 3,000-mile radius. Spain is thirty six hundred miles away from from Israel. So we know from just reasoning, looking at a map, that Tarshish was a long, long ways away. It was at least three thousand miles, definitely a lot farther away than Nineveh. So Jonah makes a conscious choice to hop on board and to go to a place that is as far to the end of the known world as possible. So let's just do a little bit more speculation just for a second. All of us in here have traveled. Is travel cheap? All God's people said, no, travel's not cheap. You go to Florida and you're emptying out your pockets. Now imagine for just a second that you want to make this trip on a ship. How expensive do you think this is going to be? We can speculate and say it probably was not cheap. But what's it say he did? So he paid the fare. He paid the fare. So Jonah at this point is willing to, to pay anything in order to get away from God and get away from what God is calling him to do. It's not enough to disregard God's word. We have to reject God in so doing. We have to. And we do. I want everyone to... I realize that everyone in here is an adult and it's been a long time since you've been a child but I want you to think back when you messed up and your mom or your dad told you I want you to do this and instead you chose to go do something else fill in the blank you chose to disobey the word from your parents so the first place you want to be is back in their presence again all God's people said no no you do everything you can to avoid mom and dad for the rest of the day, hoping that you will find yourself safely in your covers and that they will forget in their sleep. None of us in here had parents like that that forgot in their sleep, though, did we? So listen, maybe it's a poor illustration, but we don't want to be around the person that we disobey. We don't want to be around that person. When you fail to go out and to have your vehicle inspected when you absolutely know that it's past inspection, the one person that you don't want to run into is a cop, right? You will do everything you can to avoid that cop. If you have to drive six miles out of the way because you saw him down the road, you will do it. It's in our nature to run away, to hide. When you sin and disregard God's word, what do you do with all of your might? I'm not going anywhere near that guy. Let me... Before you answer truly, just let me ask you this. When you choose not to listen to God's truth and you transgress, how often immediately after that do you turn to your Bible? We don't. And if you say that you do, either you are super spiritual or a liar. So be with me and just say we don't. When we transgress, we don't listen to what God has to say. We ignored part of his word. It's not like we come back afterwards after we've messed stuff up. And we're like, God, can you tell me where I went wrong? We avoid His Word. Not only do we avoid His Word, often, when you mess up big time, we'll avoid worship service. We want to try some way, somehow, to avoid being around God's people. Your Christian friends text you and you will not answer them back because you don't want to talk to them. You don't want to feel any more guilt, have any more conviction. What you want to do is get as far away from any memory of the presence of God possible. At the very moment when you should turn to God, when I should turn to God the most, what do we do? We turn away. We turn away. And what do we become? We become a naked couple hiding in the bushes because here comes God and we want to be as far away from Him as possible. Hopefully He doesn't see us. So we messed up this week. God told you and God told me to love our neighbor. But it wasn't in our best interest. It didn't suit us best at the time. So we retaliated because they said something we didn't like. And now you want to avoid God. Where do you go? Where can you and I go? Where is our safe haven away from God? Where is it? Where does it exist? Where is this place where somehow, some way, we can get away from God's presence so we do not have to be in the face of this thing which we have done. Where is it? Psalm 139, 7-12 through 12, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, to even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So think about that for a second. Where can you go? God is called in Scripture the lover of your soul. The lover of my soul. I want you to take just a second and breathe that in. God loves the parts of you that no one else can see. He loves the deepest parts of you. He knows the deepest parts of you. Where are you going to go to get away from Him? Where will you turn? Knowing that He's not bound by His space. Where are you going to go? Uh, Look at what this said here. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Everyone has that coffee mug in their cupboard this morning. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Wow. Where are you going to hide from him? He made you. He made you. He chose you. He loves you. He knows your thoughts. He knows the inner workings of your heart. He knows your soul. He loves your soul. He knows the hairs on your head, and nothing is hidden from him. Where do you run? When you're trying to get away from God. You know the sick part? This was penned long before Jonah was born. Jonah a prophet of God's word. Should have known this stuff. But he did not. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would kill them, they are more than the sand. I awake... And I am still with you. Christian Life Church, can you get away from God? No. We can't get away from Him. We can't get away from Him. However, I'm wrapping up here. I know we've been a little while. Being aware of God's presence is not a bad thing. Even when you sin, even when I sin, even when we are at our worst, even when anyone else could look inside of our heart and think us to be terrible. Even in that moment, being in God's presence can be a wonderful thing. Being aware of God's presence and your inability to escape does not bring submission out of fear. And too often, that's what the church has been teaching. Some parents even say that to their kids. Well, I may not know, but... God does you may not be telling me the truth but God knows he's going to get you too many churches are teaching this way too having God's presence about you does not mean that he's going to get you when you are aware that moment by moment you are in his presence you want more of it how precious are your thoughts to me even thoughts of God How vast is the sum of them? I would count them. They are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. When you are in God's presence, you want more and more and more of it. Listen to the rest of Psalm 139 as I read it to you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What does it do? What does it change when you're in God's presence? When you are continually aware that there is a God, a one true God, He loves you and He is not going anywhere and you cannot get away from Him, it makes us have an insatiable thirst for righteousness to see things made right in the end to have righteousness not only in our lives but to be surrounded by righteousness a theology of God's presence and tender care for those who are in his place listen that's your story right there that means you are part of his story of redemption You can either have a theology of God's presence and tender care for those who are His. And you can have a a vision of your place in the story of redemption. Or your theology can be of a God that serves your interest at every turn. And when He doesn't, you avoid Him. I end with... uh, with one more quote by C.S. Lewis, which is important. If any of you have read The Great Divorce, you'll know this quote. If you have not read The Great Divorce, you should. He said this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Wow. All that are in hell choose it. Without that that self-choice there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. The joyous heart is the one that knows God and knows God knows him or her. God knows us and loves us and applies that love to our every single step. Let's, let's pray together.